How did you first want to get into the sports media scene? Uh, when did you know this is something that you wanted to make a career out of? Oh, man, probably in college. You know, uh, I bounced around a bunch in college trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. Um, yeah, I originally wanted to do film, uh, but the girl I dated when I was a film major told me that she wouldn't be with me any longer if so I had a, a business degree. So I went into finance. Yeah, it's a different Jewish thing. I went to finance, into accounting. Um, and I did that for a while, and I realized that if I sat behind a desk all day, every day for the rest of my life, uh, I, I would it would be too miserable. So I switched majors. I decided that, you know, I love football. I love sports. I love talking sports. This is America. You can make money doing anything in this great country. Why not make money talking sports? And that's, that's it. You know, that's and very I, true. That, that's it. Well, you did grow up playing Tim sports, Kuki, right? What was that? You grew up playing sports, so you kind of had that sports background. Playing is a loose, a loose term. I was on a lot of teams. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was. I played baseball for a while, um, but I always enjoyed. I always enjoyed playing the sport more than actually watching it on TV. Uh, and then my dad forced me into football when I was uh, fifth grade, which is. The greatest thing he's ever done because that turned into my, my life pretty much. Um, and I just absolutely love that sport. I grew up playing that sport from fifth grade through my senior year of college, and then I went back and I coached it uh, for a while, too, for about five seasons. All right, so football is your game. Talk a little bit about the journey you've been on since college, since that's kind of where it started with the – you know, the, the ex-girlfriend and WQKE, for those of you who don't know, the Quake is the Plattsburgh State radio station up there. And we were on, you know, plenty of shows together. And we, you know, we did a bunch of things in the sports department on the radio station and, you know, a little bit, in, you know, during classes and things like that. Talk a little bit about how it kind of came about in college and, and what you've been kind of doing since college. Kind of take us through that journey that you've been on. All right, well, uh, once once me and the, that girl broke up, which was probably the best for everybody, uh, I decided, that, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do this finance thing anymore. Uh, so I, I did, I went and wanted to talk, wanted to do radio, and I met a girl who was fantastic, who ended up marrying, who, who just supported every dream I've ever had, uh, and she was much <laughs> behind me. So I, uh, I, joined the, I joined WQKE to see, you know, see if I would like it or not. And within a couple of months of being part of the Quake, I was under you as, as you as a sports director. Uh, I got to know you really well and started doing some play-by-play, and that's when I was hooked. So that, there was nothing like it, uh, doing play-by-play, doing uh, live talk shows like this. It's just nothing, nothing like it in the world. Um, and then uh, literally a few months after that, I became the general manager of the Quake, and I, and I ran for a whole year. I think it was – I think I did a pretty decent job. You know, some may argue otherwise, but they're wrong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it, was a good, it was a good time, man. I, I love the Quake. The Quake gave me a lot of tools uh, that I've been using ever since then, not just on how to broadcast, but how to handle yourself professionally. And Tim Kluke, who was, who was the guy who ran the Quake as the professor and also did all the audio stuff, man, he, he really prepared us well. Uh, when it came to how to take care of the audio side of radio, because there is also a business side of radio, which you and I have both been on, 
for, for different reasons. You, know, you have to, you have to deal with that when you're dealing with you know, your CBS stuff, and I currently work that. Um, but when it came to the audio stuff, I don't think anyone was better prepared than anyone coming out of Plattsburgh uh, and under Tim Kluke with the audio stuff. So you had mentioned that you love doing the play-by-play. I know we didn't have football at Plattsburgh, but what was your favorite sport to broadcast? Oh, baseball. Absolutely baseball. And not even because I enjoy watching baseball that much. Because baseball, play-by-play for baseball, when you don't have sponsors and advertisers, it's a long, long sport because you have to speak the entire time. There's no breaks. You don't, you know, when it came to college play-by-play, we're somebody, somebody should school, tell that so. to uh, John Sterling and Susan Waldman. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, man, it, these guys that do play-by-play for, for professional uh, teams or even D1 teams, they have, a, they have a good, man. They get these every 15, 20-minute breaks to go do whatever they got to do. When we were D3 sports, there is no break time. You don't throw it back to the studio. Usually there's no one in the studio to throw it back to. Uh, so you have to talk to whoever you have there, and hopefully he's fun to talk to because you have to – everything that's you – know, there's a lot of downtime in baseball, so you have to just make stuff up and go. But a lot of the fun I had with that is that you were on the baseball team, and I would just find creative ways to bring you up and, and during the game because, like I said, there was so much downtime in baseball. So I would just have you – know, that's where the American hero line came from, uh, and there's just – it was just a lot of good, good times because you know, we also had a lot of good play-by-play guys like Dan Kalaki and Mike Warren and Josh Trell, uh, who were excellent play-by-play guys. It was just fun to be in the booth with. Um, I mean, Eric, also, I don't forget Eric Bowe, also a great play-by-play person in the booth. Um, so I think it was a lot because, uh, A, I enjoy doing it with you, uh, you know, and broadcasting your games, but B, we also had a really good cast of guys when I was, when I was uh, in the sports department at the Quake. Yeah, I wish I could have got on the field a little bit more for you guys. I, I, you know, that would have been a little bit more fun. But you know, you, you came up with the name the American Hero, and it's kind of stuck, and and it's kind of uh, it's kind of a living legend now as as we continue to do our shows, and you continue to keep it alive. So I appreciate that. Again, we're talking with Matt Stopsy here on the Word with G, and I forgot to mention your credentials at the top. Um, you're the lead jet writer uh, for Double G Sports football writer for the last word on sports and of course the co-host with myself on stop ski and g podcasting on the fan rag podcasting network we do the tailgate the trenches podcast and we also do the baseline the baseline podcast which we are currently uh coming down the home stretch with as we're moving into the second round of the nba playoffs so we'll be getting uh, more of those out to you as the playoffs progress but now, Matt, you, you talked a lot about your college career at Plattsburgh and, and how you really got into broadcasting and kind of, kind, of how, kind of how you fell in love with it. Talk a little bit about what you've done since college and, and you know, what you've done to kind of utilize all that knowledge that Kluke had given you and the classes and the practical broadcasting experience. How have you utilized that in the real world and what you're doing now and, and even in the writing aspect of things as, you know, you're getting into a lot more uh, as I just stated. Well, uh, to start off with, you know, when you graduate college, there is nothing like the realization of knowing that you mean nothing to most of these employers uh, and that <laughs> all the experience you thought you have is actually nothing. Um, and that was, that was like an upsetting realization. The, my first real job out of college was working at a law firm. I wasn't even in radio. 
I didn't get my first actual radio job until one of the WQKE alums, uh, Scott Hankel, hooked me up with Westwood One and on the on the business side of radio where we did, you know, did the operation stuff. Scotty H, man, the man, absolutely the man, one of the hardest workers I've ever met. Um, and he hooked me up with with that, and so it, it was a, it's a lot. It was a lot of fun working operations. Um, the people I met there with my, my boss Danny Kotrick and and working with the sales team was a lot of fun. Uh, but what was really the most fun was getting to do the radio tours uh, with my with a guy named Bob. And radio tours was pretty much these guys as professionals would come on of Donald McNabb uh, and on the sports side, or I'd have people like celebrities come in. Um, like I had Rob Cordry on once, and they prefer they do is I would be their guy, their producer that runs the board. And we, I would do these eight-minute interviews with all of these stations where I would be the guy running the board for them. And that's where my stuff with Kluke really came out because, you know, doing operations, it's mainly spreadsheets. That's where, that's where my accounting stuff came into uh, in the fly, but really working the board, um, not just, you know, to, to run the board properly, but also had to deal with celebrities either, uh, either over the phone or in person uh, and not being a total, you know, a schmuck. That was something I learned hmm. from Kluge because you know, really being live with these guys. You now, the of doing our podcast, we just mess up everything and then uh, and re edit. You know, obviously, we do these live shows also, like the one we're doing right now and uh, our Big Apple Sports Hour. But when you're on the air with someone that totally outranks you in society, like a celebrity, it, it can be a little nerve wracking when you're on the other side of that, of that line. Yeah, I can imagine that's that's definitely got to be good experience. So you, you do that with Westwood One, am I correct? Yep. All right, so you you've been working for, for Westwood One. Yeah, go I ahead. Did that for a bit, you get into and it? Then, oh yes, I did that for a bit, um, and then Westwood. Anyone who follows radio closely knows that Westwood One went through a lot of changes. Um, just in the time that I've been there, we've had CEOs, so it's been a, a lot of different changes since I've been there. So that eventually went away, unfortunately, which was something that I just love doing. But I transitioned into sales, which has always been a good time. I work with a lot of you know, really movers and shakers in this industry with um, you know, Dennis Green um, and the guys over at, at CBS with Eric. You know, I work with a lot of guys that are considered you know, the, the top of the top of the radio syndication world and you know, Eric being the so the top of the top of the sports radio world, and being the next guy used to run the fan out on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, so I've been a lot of with them. Uh, luckily, I've been able to do CBS Sports Radio with them for about two years now. So that's been a lot of fun. Getting to sell, I hope I don't get to talk sports radio to a national audience, but I get at least get to sell it. That's kind of fun. Yeah, kind of fun, right? Not not, not too bad. It would be a lot better if you were kind of producing all the time or producing shows like you got to do with the radio tours, but you know, you're around it. You're, you're in the industry, you're in the business. I think that's just kind of half the battle is getting your foot in the door somewhere. As I found out once I was unemployed that, you know, that is something that that's huge because you can't take for granted, even if it's a part-time job that, Hey, you are in your, you know, you've got your foot securely in somewhere, whether it be part-time, full-time, hopefully full-time, um, but you know, that, that's just half the battle and, and talking about the battle that is, or the grind that is sports media, what are some of the challenges that you faced and, and continue to face 
as you try to progress in the industry? Working for almost no money. That, that is probably the biggest grind is working for absolutely no money. I like also my sales job days, but I don't want to do sales my entire life. No, my, my, both my parents were salespeople. I'm, I'm a pretty good salesperson, but I, my passion is, is talking sports, is writing about sports, um, and obviously scouting, but that's a whole different one. We'll talk about them in the second half. Um, but my, my writing and my broadcast is what I really love to do. That's why I got into radio. Um, so I started doing some things with you. you know, I got the office and fan rag to do the podcasting, and when they offered to me, I was like, great. But see, Greg wants to do it as well because I know I can't carry a show. So and you, were, you were kind <laughs> enough to say, to say yes, and it's been a fun time ever since. But, you know, as you know, we don't get to get tons of fan rag, although I love doing the fan rag podcast. It's a lot of fans and good people work there, uh, but it's not, it's not paying the rent or anything. And then you know, Ryan for Double G Sports has been a lot of fun working with Greg over there, and he's a, a good guy, and it's a good group of writers. Same thing at last, we're on sports, but again, does not pay the rent, uh, which, you know, is hard. When you're a 26-year-old guy, dreams are great, but you got to pay bills. Yeah, but I think that's kind of part of it where, you know, in our industry, you have to do these things, you know, for little to no money to hopefully – show an employer that, hey, I'm willing to work for free. I'm willing to put in the work on my own. And uh, if I'm willing to do that and I put out good content while I'm not getting paid, that, hey, you know, let's pay this guy because he's shown that he's got the drive and the work ethic to really put in the work while he's not even getting paid. Let's try to, you know, let's get him on board. And, you know, that's just kind of what you have to do in our industry to kind of get in and kind of get noticed is, and it's kind of a crapshoot, to be honest with you, because, you know, who knows if somebody's going to take notice even, or if you, you know, you, you, you talk to the right person at the right time, you may, you know, just miss an opportunity or you may hit an opportunity at the right time where there's a need and somebody knows you or knows of you and they know of your work and they trust you. And, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things I think that, you know, this industry is all about. And it sucks because, you know, obviously, like you said, the money's not there, but it's, you know, you really have to have that, that drive and that fire and desire to want to do those things for little to no money, uh, like we're doing right now, just so you can get reps and you can get better, and hopefully that'll lead to an opportunity somewhere else where you can eventually get paid. Oh, yeah, and also not only do we, you know, does it help out, get our name out there, also helps with our uh, our craft. You know, I, I think we're pretty good, but honestly we're not CBS Sports National ready broadcasters. We had, We have some things we'd have to work out. Which is great for some. There used to be a time where if we had, to, if we wanted to get reps in, we had to move to the middle of nowhere, United States of America, where there were more cows than people, uh, to to get some reps in. Now we can do it from the luxury of our living room, which is great. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that I think that's great. Also, I get my writing reps in when I do uh, last word on sports and on uh, double G, and I get my broadcast reps in when I do double G and on fan rag and. Uh, Every time I go on the air or I write something, I'm a little better than the last time, which that's, that's the goal. You know, when I get to the point where it'd be a problem if I was ESPN quality and working at that level. Um, but, again, the reps is, is really important. Again, talking with Matt Stotsky here on The Word with G. Now, Matt, give me your coolest experience or, you know, the kind of coolest uh, person 
uh, you've gotten to, to meet or talk to just kind of in general. Give me some, give me a story or two about either somebody you met or an experience that you've had, you know, within the industry. Uh, all right. Let's, I'm sure I have to remember his name because he was just the coolest dude. Uh, one second. To get his name up oh, here because I forgot his name. No, 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 no. It's Jackson Galaxy, the guy from My Cat from Hell. Never even heard of that show until I met him and did his, did his radio tour. He was one of the nicest dudes I've ever, I've ever met in my entire life. And the stories he had about this freak, these cats were just some of the funniest things I've ever heard. Uh, he was excellent. Uh, Gabriel Iglesias was a great, great time to do a, a radio tour for. Uh, Clark Reg, um, uh, who else did I do? Um, well, obviously, Rob Cordy. Rob Cordy was a lot of fun. Uh, he was a, a really good time. Um, Simon Dallas Page, the wrestler, was a really nice guy. And McNabb, Don McNabb was just a sweet dude. He was really nice. Yeah. Uh, really down to earth. So you, you know, people have some negative things to say about Donovan, but honestly, my experience with Donovan, he was a great guy. Did you tell him you were a Giant fan? No, no I don't think I said I stayed away from that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably a smart idea. I, I, I remember one time I met Miles Austin. I was actually on. Um, you remember the, the wide receiver when he was on Dallas at this point, and he was actually, you know, pretty good at that point. He was probably the top wide receiver at the time. And I think this was around 2010. And um, it was like the week or two after the, you know, the Packers thrashed the Dallas Cowboys and they like, they, they crushed them. Wade Phillips got fired like the week, uh, the, the week after that. And, um, you know, I, I went on this tour to ESPN, like the studios in Bristol and I was wearing my Aaron Rodgers jersey, you know, obviously very proud. And, you know, we're touring one of the studios and in walks, a smaller studio, and in walks Miles Austin. And my, my face just lights up because I'm like, oh, we just torched this guy's team like the other day. So I shake his hand, and he goes, hey, nice, nice jersey. I was like, yeah, you like that? And I gave him a little discount double check. And I was like, yeah, he probably did a couple of those on you that, uh, that Monday or Sunday night game, right? And he just kind of laughed and, and walked away. So, you know, some of these athletes can kind of be cool, but I guess you kind of have to – kind of feel it out, which, uh, which one you can kind of pester a little bit and, and, you know, can take a joke. And some of these guys are a little sensitive and high strong, you know? Yeah, no, there were some guys that I didn't really have for that I knew I couldn't do that kind of stuff with. Um, I forgot his name. There were, there were a couple of guys who were ex-players who could not take a joke. And I would not I wouldn't be the one to tell it anyway, because uh, it's not professional. <laughs> but you know, like there yeah. were there were some guys that you know we would hang in on the first station. And his first reaction would be like, "What the mother? How did I have a show in the middle of freaking nowhere?" I'm like, "Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, this guy, you know." Who. <laughs> so, you know, we had a few of those, but honestly, most of the people I I talked to and. In radio, I've been really nice people. There have been some people that I've met who are just complete schmucks. Um, who again, I'm not. I won't go into into names, but there are some people I met even at at 
at network radio who I, I were just not nice people uh, in the broadcast world. Yeah, there's always going to be – you're always going to run into to those people uh, at some point. But how about give, – give me some of these stories because I'm surprised you didn't mention this is one of your coolest experiences, going to the Senior Bowl and to the – I believe it was the East-West Shrine game and, and things like that because you love college football and the NFL draft and, and the NFL in general. Talk a little bit about that experience that you had going to cover those various things and maybe some of the people that you met through there. Oh, okay. I, I thought you meant only broadcast. Well, that's, that's the scouting world. I've done a lot of things when it comes to the scouting world, whether it be going to Indy for the Combine or Mobile for the Senior Bowl or, or St. Pete for the East-West game. Um, I've met just a ton of people in the, in the football world. And there was – my probably one of my favorite moments uh, of the last – couple of, of trips I've taken was I was at a at a bar in Indianapolis at the Combine and I was surrounded by some of the best media people in the country that cover the NFL. I was sitting at a table with uh, Cecil LeMay who does stuff for, for Denver, Denver Broncos, uh, Charlie Campbell, the guy who writes for World Football, Josh who writes for, for PSF, uh, across me was Russ Landy, who was the, um, you know, used to work on the networks for the Alouettes as their uh, director of football, uh, football scouting. My apologies. Uh, then there was Aaron Schatz, who runs Football Outsiders. My partner was a writer for Bleacher Report. And we're just sitting there, just, you know, having a freaking great time, drinking a good time, telling stories, doing, you know, having discussion about the football stuff. And, and it was just, it was a great time. Uh, and it was one of those really weird moments where I looked around at this table and thought, I don't belong at this table. Um, but <laughs> are there any, are there any good stories you can share from, from those guys that, that you heard? Share their personal not, stories. Not, that not right. safe for radio. I, I can tell you one story that uh, I'm not going to tell the guy's name or what team he's from. That's fine. But the first, time I went to Indianapolis because um, I'm trying to break into scouting. That's, that's like my real my real thing. Um, I meet this scout, uh, this executive scout who I've wanted to meet for the longest time. And I went up at the bar. It was after the combine. We were just, he was just sitting there you know, drinking a beer, and I wanted to introduce myself. And um, if, I can, if I can interview him for a, uh, for a piece I was doing. So he goes, sure. I uh, hope you you want to do it right now? I said, uh, sure. Let me look at my laptop. And my laptop was at a different hotel. So I ran, I ran my fat behind <laughs> the hallways of the Marriott hotels in Indianapolis up to the 11th floor, got my laptop, got the questions, ran my, my, my butt back to uh, the bar at, at the JW and I get there, you know, huffy and puffing as a fat kid would be who just ran, you know, a, a decent way. He turns and goes, damn, kid, you're fat. You need to, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> That's what I said to you? I'll try, I'll try to work on that. <laughs> he goes, yeah, man, I just ran six miles before, man. You just barely ran and you're winded. Um, 
<laughs> and that was my, my real first impression of, of this guy. And he was, oh, man, he was easily the toughest interview I've ever had. Um, really? Why I'm, I'm sitting there asking. So I'm sitting there asking questions, uh, and I think my my – one of my first questions was, you know, what would your opinion, what would your advice be to someone who wants to get into scouting? Uh, and he said, don't. You won't make it. You won't like it. Not if you should have. Don't do it. Uh, which, you know, to my surprise, you know, I, I thought that's something that usually, like, usually, even if people don't like their line of work or don't want someone to get into it, it's very rare to hear them be so blunt about it. Um, so I, I was like, okay, I, had had the thing, and uh, I was sitting next to this guy, um, you know, to my other side, not to the side I was talking to this guy on, who was this loud, schmucky dude uh, who would constantly over, you know, talk over me to ask this guy questions, like really dumb questions, like, "Hey man, what were the best, you know, girls you ever got in, in the in the country? Where was the best, you know, alcohol, smokes, whatever?" And I got to a point where I just turned and said, "Listen, dude, I don't care." His opinion on women. Like, I, I'm engaged. I'm sure he has excellent knowledge, but I do not care. Please shut up. <laughs> um, because I, I just stop you right down the law. Yeah, I, no, I already was already getting it from one side, you know, pretty much being told I'm fat and shouldn't get into the job I want to. I had this freaking schmuck behind me, you know, it was being, it was being a hard time. You know, we, we, we do the, we do the interview, finish the interview, um, and, you know, he, it was it was super nice, uh, and at the end of the day, I, I sh- uh, he shook my hand and gave me the email address and said good luck, and then I left. I went went off and and met with some people that I knew, and um, you know, I was wasn't defeated, but it definitely was not what I was expecting. Uh, you know, meeting this guy it absolutely wasn't wasn't what it was, so. The next day, my flight got canceled because of snow, because obviously Indianapolis, uh, in the middle of the winter. So I was stuck with nowhere to go uh, all, all day in Indy. So I'm sitting there uh, waiting for my, my room, my hotel to be ready because I had to extend my stay. So I'm just sitting there in the middle of the lounge, surrounded by Bill Polian and John Elway and, and Field James no and deal. all these the movers. Yeah, it's no, no big deal. Uh, just sitting there and just watching – film i was like you know what that's he i i respect his opinion and i appreciate him talking to me but i'm still going for it and i and i just sat there and, and watched video and the guy me uh back he came over and stopped and said hello um and uh, he was like he was just a, a a totally different person than what i spoke to the night before um, no, a lot no, just more open, nicer, and he actually ended up inviting me to hang out with his team that following night. Uh, wow! Which, you know, I'm not ever sure if it's. I'm not sure if it was meant to be this way, but it, almost like he was testing me. Because, and, and something he's he's always told because him and I say stay in touch. The one thing he's always told me is, is this, to, to do to be in scouting a lot like being broadcast is all about perseverance and just sticking with it. And you know, at a certain point, if you're still sticking around, someone's gonna have to take notice. 
whether, whether it be tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now, if you're still fighting the good fight, someone will take notice. Um, my first test, really, and if I and really if I wanted to do scouting was, and then and just sticking with it. That's great. Again, talking with Mastowski here on the word with G. Now, you mentioned, obviously, that you love this scouting, and this is kind of where your passion lies. And, and I kind of want to tie this into the sports media grind because, you know, if you're going to be doing scouting, you're probably also doing some writing and, and things like that, hopefully. Um, so kind of what draws you to football and scouting in, in general? And do you enjoy kind of the writing more or, or talking about, you know, the sport and, and, and doing the radio bit more than you do writing? Uh, well, what drives me towards scouting it was <clears throat> well, it was pretty easy. I I played the sport for, like I said, uh, I was on the team. I'm playing is, is probably a uh, there's a loose term there, but I played. Uh, I didn't really love it. I I always enjoy. I always liked being part of the team. I always enjoyed my time with my teammates on the field. I enjoyed the scheme of the game. But I didn't really fall in love with football until I went back to coaching it. That's when I, I really fell in love with the game. Uh, and that's when I really started scouting. Because I, unfortunately, how I got into coaching was, uh, was not the best circumstance. It was the summer going into our sophomore year, and my previous JV head coach had just passed away brain cancer at a very young age. I think it was like 30. It was, it was young dude. Um, but passed away right before two days started. Uh, and it was too late for my head coach to find a replacement for the JV. So I, I offered, uh, me and my buddy Derek offered to, to step up and, and do what we could while I was home. And Derek would continue while he was, because you know, he stayed home in, at college. Um, and that small amount of time, I had a total different respect for the sport. Uh, just how much like a chess game football is. Mm-hmm. Abs- I, I absolutely. That's why I really love about football is just the chess match between you know, coach versus coach, player versus player is absolutely incredible, and that's what I really loved about it. So, also I couldn't coach a Long Island team when I was in Plattsburgh, New York, so I had to get my football fixed somehow. So I started scouting. I thought it would make me a better coach if I could see what these prospects were doing coming into the NFL. And then I just realized I love watching film. I, I like watching film more than I enjoyed going out drinking as a college kid, which may or may not say something about me. Probably not positive. But <laughs> probably not. I would stay in. Definitely not. I would stay Yeah, that's fine. Yes. I would stay in at night instead of going out and watch film on Blaine Gabbert or watch film on Ken Newton or watch film on Von Miller. And I would be watching film on these guys also when they were coming into the league and trying to figure out what made them great or what made them bust. Uh, why were they going to be good? Why were they going to be bad? And trying to put a grade system behind it. Um, not just so I can understand them, but I can understand that and put it towards my players. Uh, and that just continued. Every year it grew and it grew. And then I started doing the quake, and I was like, great, now I can – of these players, and I can have a very unique opinion about the draft, uh, which I usually did. I usually have more unique opinions about, uh, about certain players than you would find in these 
in these draft books because most draft books are just recycled nonsense uh, that they cut that they got from somebody else. There are very few draft books or draft analysts who actually have an original thought. Most of them just you know regurgitate what they heard from the other guy. Um, yeah. So it was something that was something that I had that was unique that most people didn't have, especially in the college radio world. Uh, so it just kept going. And honestly, I was a broadcaster. I enjoyed radio. So I enjoyed talking about it much more than I did writing about it. But I had to hone my writing skill because my report to the guys who I would later write reports to, I couldn't tell them over the phone. I had to you know, take what I saw, put it on, on Word or Excel, and paint a picture of this flyer so he could have a better idea if he wants to draft him or not. All right. So, what is your dream job? You know, in, in you know five, ten years, whatever it is, whenever you're in the prime of your career, you've gained you know, you know enough experience to be where you want to be. Where do you want to see yourself end up? Where would you like to see yourself, you know, working? And, and you know, what would you like to see yourself doing for the next twenty, thirty years, whatever it may be? Uh, well, unfortunately, it won't be ten years. It would probably be more like twenty. Um, but I would love to be a director of college scouting. For a for a professional club, um, that's that that's the highest thing you can get without being a general manager. And although being a general manager always seemed like something I would want to do, so little of what you actually do is football uh, or scouting when you're a GM, because you, you don't just run the football side or the players; you run everything as general manager. Uh, and I would really just want to scout. I would just want to create my big board every year and present it to my GM so he had the best idea of who to pick. Uh, and I would love to do that because although being an area, I want to become an area scout, and I, I love the idea of the grind and, and driving around and, and scouting these players. The only thing that I hate about that, because I've done this now, I've done some area scout, uh, scouting, not for, professional, not for the NFL, but for a different team uh, or a different area. Um, that I you, know, you only know the guys in your area, you know. So I don't know. You know like if my let's say my area is the southeast, I have no idea about this prospect in California, and it bothers me. I want to know. I want to know everything about every player, uh, which you know, it's probably I'll say I won't be able to know every single 500 players that uh, going to the draft. But I, I want to know about the top 300 without a doubt. So why not be – you wouldn't want to be like an analyst on ESPN or CBS or Fox or something like that? You know, I would uh, at the end of my career. Uh, you know, I would like to be a good enough of a, of a front office person where I could work as a media person. But what would be better than creating a team or help create a team and then watch them win? Getting to the, getting the, the put a ring on, a Super Bowl ring that you earned that you know your blood, sweat, and tears went into. Look, I love writing my, my reports on all these players that go to the public um, and on the shows the knowledge I have. But I, I would love to have the accountability of being a part of a team where not only does my opinion matter, and my opinion affects the outcome of a franchise in either positive or negative way, and if it is a positive way, you know, I'll never be able to be a wide receiver in the NFL. I'll never be able to be a lineman in the NFL. 
and earn what? a ring. But I can help create a team. I know, right? I didn't, you didn't know that, that there's not a huge yeah. offer for you know, five foot seven, two hundred and seventy pound men in the NFL. I but, think you'd be like a prototypical uh, li- perfect linebacker, D- defensive tackle. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think they have a uh, – he'd be great. I'd be absolutely the worst player in the world. Um, <laughs> but I would be the white mamba of the NFL. No one wants to do that. There you go. No one wants to be that guy. Um, but I could, I could be at least someone on the front office who can help build a team. Uh, and that's what I want to do. So that's a cool perspective. I like that, Matt. I, 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 you know, really never thought of it that way, but that's, that is really interesting. That's really cool that you, you know, you kind of thought that far ahead and that's, that's kind of your goal. And, you know, it's going to take a while and you're going to have to do these, these type of things to get to where you want to be. Um, but you just keep grinding away and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, the breaks will you know break for you and, and you'll get to where you want to be. So give me now, because I ask everybody this at the end of the interview, give me, or the conversation, I should say, Give me a little advice you would give somebody who wants to be where you are. Maybe they're just starting out, whether it be in, in writing or broadcasting or even scouting. Uh, give me a little advice that uh, you can give, that we can give to, to those type of people. Uh, well, if you're just starting out, I'm going to give you the advice that my father gave me going into well, literally everything. Uh, is shut up, you know nothing. That is <laughs> – the best advice I've ever been given in my entire life is shut up, you know nothing. Um, you know, my, my, my dad kind of said the mean, same thing, but he, he said it in a little bit nicer way. He was kind of like, all right, be a sponge. You know, whether you're a player or whether you're in the real world in a, a job or something like that, just be a sponge and just take in as much information and just listen. Don't say much, just listen. Yeah, well, I think the reason my dad said it that way is because that's how it was told to him. He was – when he got out of college, I think it was like his first or second really big job in, in sales, he was going into a meeting with the guy who ran the company because it wasn't that big of a company. Uh, and he, like, he was a 24-year-old hotshot who thought he knew everything. And he had his boss who was, was much older than him. And before they got into the meeting, the guy turns around and looks and goes, Rich, shut up. You do nothing. And that was his advice to my dad was not say a thing in this meeting. Just listen. And that's what, that, that's what I've taken from it. Is I, cause that's something that you'll – especially coming out of college, because when you're in college, you have that same kind of thing. As a freshman, you know nothing. And, but you, and you kind of know you know nothing as a freshman. But as time goes on, you gain this experience, and then you, it gets to the point where you're at the top of the mountain as a senior, and you, and you know everything about the school, and you know everything about your major, and you, you, know, you have the in – with the deans and with the professors and the, and the lunch ladies and who cares. And you think you know everything and you leave as you keep that mentality of, Oh, I am still at that spot. I was at when I graduated. Uh, your reality is going to hit you as a ton of bricks because no matter how much you think, you know, when you leave college compared to the people that are in the workforce, you know absolutely nothing. And that's even if you were just talking to a guy who's been there for a month. You know nothing. And the other piece of advice would be, if you don't love it, don't do it. Because you're going to, like I said, you're going to have to do a lot of crap you don't want to do. You're going to have to do a lot of things for no money. You're going to have to work 24-hour days. You're going to have to sacrifice going out and, and drinking or 
going to see that movie with your buddies or, or hanging out with your wife or fiance um, or, or just doing something you want to do, you have to get this done because you have to grind because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And so if you don't love it and you can't take that grind and then take the rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection because there's going to be a stack of rejection letters and emails by the time you even get your first foot in the door, you can't have, you don't have the love for it to take that, then don't do it. Unless, of course, your dad owns ESPN or something. Outside of that, you don't do it. Just let that chip just kind of grow on your shoulder until it's time to unleash and kind of do what you do and, and you know, kind of get to show what you've been working for. And I think that's a really valuable lesson. That's a lot of good experience and a lot of good advice. Uh, that you give right there, Maddie. And, and speaking of ESPN, I wanted to just ask this, wrapping up the conversation about the sports media world, what in the hell is going on with all these layoffs in the industry nowadays? And you, we saw this past week ESPN laid off 100 on-air personalities and, and writers and, and, you know, guys and girls and women and children, whomever, you know, that cover these teams. What You know, you're kind of in that, that you know, that position at Westwood One. You kind of have a different perspective on the industry than those people that are kind of, you know, hosting the radio shows and doing those type of things. What is going on with this industry Why, where so many people are getting laid off and, and things just kind of jobs seem to be shrinking? Oh, well, I'll, I'll go over it really quickly, but if you want a, a longer explanation, um, Clay Travis, who, does, who hosts Outkick the Coverage or Outkick the Show, depending on <clears throat> what platform you're listening to, I uh, gave a really good explanation. At least half of the explanation is really good. Was backed up by by facts. The other one's more of his opinion, and you can believe it or not believe it depending on what you want. That's totally your opinion. Uh, but the one part that absolutely cannot be denied is that ESPN's model of business relies heavily on cable subscribers. And you know, you may not know because it's very very deep in your cable bill. Do you pay monthly for ESPN? Uh, it's like almost as much as you pay for HBO. It's, it's up there in how much you have to pay for it. So, you know, they, their original uh, you know, that that platform was great because cable was only growing and growing from when they started in '79 to the you no know, the early 2010s. Uh, and at, at its peak, it had 100 million cable subscribers. So they're bringing hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, with you know with this with this structure, and it was working out great as as you would think because you know who would think cable is going to die? Um, but as the 2010s went on and our generation started becoming adults and we didn't want to pay these ridiculous prices for cable, uh, we went to other mediums like um, Sling TV or PlayStation View or. YouTube, where you can watch games on Twitter now, or you only subscribe. If you're an NFL fan, you only subscribe for, for three months uh, or something along the lines of that. Uh, and that was starting to really eat into ESPN's pockets. But on the same, the same side, uh, Fox started, got a sports network, NBC got a sports cable network, CBS got a sports cable network, and ESPN not wanting to let these guys who were, you know, although they have big names, weren't really the king of the mountain. They didn't want to even get on the mountain. So their idea of that was to just 
make sure they had the best play-by-play. So ESPN would overpay for play-by-play. And that's what you saw, especially in the NBA, in the last NBA deal, they overpay the NBA by millions of dollars, tens, hundreds, a lot, a ton of money went into the NBA that they will never be able to get back uh, because they don't, don't have the cable subscribers to, to do it, um, which is how you get, you know, there are four NBA players in the history of the NBA to make $30 million a year, and three of them are MJ, LeBron, and Kobe, and the fourth is Mike Conley. How do you get that? Uh, easy. The ESPN overpaying for this deal because the TV rights, a percentage of that has to be paid to the players. And that's why you saw the, the NBA team's apps just skyrocket because they had all this extra money that they had to pay players to hit their floor. So they're overpaying guys like Del Vadova, like Conley, who would never in their dreams have imagined the contract they were getting but they're getting from ESPN. But since, you know, since 2011, cable subscribers have been getting down. And since then, they've lost about $1.7 billion in revenue because of the cable drop-off. But at the same time, they're paying more money for these uh, play-by-play deals, which they are stuck in because they committed to seven to ten years on these NBA deals. So they're trying to cut their way back into the black, but there is absolutely no amount of Ed Warner salaries that can get you into that area because they just, A, they, they don't, this is so much money that no talent not named Chris Berman can you make a dent in. Um, and B, not only are the cable subscribers going down, their audience is going down. And now why you think their audience is going down, that's all opinion-based uh, you know, Clay said it was because they were going to a more liberal uh, way of doing things. I'm not sure I, I totally believe that or if that's, if that's his, his opinion, but the fact is the audience is going away, uh, and it's really hurting ESPN. So it's not, it has nothing to do with sports not being a, you know, a relevant topic anymore. That ESPN's business model was very flawed uh, for this time. 